Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal in London. And I'm Sahili Roy Chaudhary in Singapore. So, today we're going to talk about something that many people are talking about, but it can also seem very, very confusing. The dark web. Now, what is the dark web? Well, it's basically all of the World Wide Web that's not searchable via your regular search engines. So, look, you've got the regular web where there are more than a billion websites, according to the World Wide Web anniversary site. But most of them are inactive. And there are nearly 4.5 billion web pages on the, you know, let's call it the normal internet. Now think of the dark web as the hidden internet. And it's estimated to have four to 500 times more pages. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And here's the kicker. You can't really search the dark web with a normal search engine like your Google search we actually need special programs to access websites on the dark web. And one of the most popular ones that you may have heard about is called Tor or the Onion Router. Now, this router is able to basically conceal your location and make it harder for someone to trace your internet activity. So, for example, websites that are you know, accessible by Tor usually end with a .onion address instead of your usual .com or .net. And even Facebook has a site that can only be accessed on Tor-enabled browser. Yeah, very interesting, Sally. And I also just want to run you guys listening here through what is actually on the dark web. Basically everything, the good and the bad. There are marketplaces that sell illegal items like firearms, drugs, stolen credit card information, that kind of thing. But some other people also use the dark web for privacy to share confidential information and sometimes even bypass internet surveillance in some countries as well. Since this is beyond the valley and we're looking at it from an international perspective, we want to tell you that the dark web is global. You've got websites hosted in Russia off service based elsewhere. You've got law enforcement in different countries working together to catch criminals on the dark web. This is truly an international phenomenon. It is. And... Recently, I caught up with an expert and I asked him to unpack the dark web for us. He's Charles Carmichael, a vice president at cybersecurity firm FireEye. And there he leads teams that basically respond to various cyber attacks and incidents. Now, I spoke to him over the phone and asked him, how does the dark web work? Have a listen. When people typically refer to the dark web, a lot of times they're referring to a portion of the internet that's accessible using a anonymous browsing um, network called Tor. And, and really what Tor allows individuals to do is, is really two things. One, it allows them to access normal websites on the internet um, in an anonymous way so that the um, internet service provider that they're con- connecting in from can't tell which websites are going to. And Um, Also, the websites that they're going to, they can't quite tell exactly who is actually connecting to them. So there's actually a pretty positive um, purpose for uh, the Tor network, um, which allows a number of uh, of activists to very safely and securely um, and anonymously um, get messages out um, and and also access the Internet. And and there's a, a fairly large portion 
of the, the Tor network that's used for very you know, positive purposes. Um, there's another side of the uh, the network that's also used for um, uh, malicious purposes, and uh, you know, for any any um, you know, technology that's 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 out there that could be used for good, you know, certainly will also be leveraged and exploited for bad. And, and there are a number of actors out there that have um, leveraged the Tor network to anonymously connect to sites and attempt to hack them. Um, they've also stood up infrastructure that can only be accessed leveraging the Tor technology that. Um, allows people to to really uh, to do a number of things. And what we find is that there are a number of uh, criminal organizations that have stood up um, websites and, and forums and uh, marketplaces that allow a number of uh, you know, bad actors and criminals to, to buy and sell um, stolen goods, um, you know, drugs, and, and various other things that uh, they probably wouldn't be able to sell through legitimate forums and uh, marketplaces. Because you, you talked about the good side of um, you know using the dark web. Uh, in terms of uh, activists getting their messages across, how do they do this? I mean, for the for the the, the malicious side, of of course, you know we have heard about uh, things like the Silk Road that was taken down and numerous other sites that get taken down and gets reported in the media. But t- tell us a bit about the good side, and then we'll move to the 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 more malicious side of things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, you know, there are a lot of legitimate purposes and um, a lot of good good purposes for using uh, the dark web and using um, Tor to to access the internet. So certain countries uh, they filter um, internet access. They they censor um, uh, media messages, and um, um, there are a number of individuals, you know, hundreds of thousands of in- individuals that uh, want to get access to the internet, want to be able to um, read messages, want to be able to send messages to others. You think about uh, what uh, what occurred in Egypt uh, many years ago. Um, there, you know, there were complete blocks of the internet altogether, and um, and, and being able to leverage you know, technology like Tor um, allows uh, individuals to to get access to the internet and exchange messages and communicate with the uh, the free world. Without worrying about the repercussions of what will their um, their local governments um, or their ISPs do um, to uh, to either block them from getting out or from you know, being able to uh, to censor their messages, um, so there's a pretty positive thing that comes out of this. Now, a lot of journalists also want to be able to uh, um, communicate with other individuals, um, and uh, and so journalists also use Tor. Law enforcement uses Tor uh, for a lot of uh, you know legitimate purposes as well. So do do you feel like uh, do you ever feel like the dark web has a bit of an image problem because when we hear about the dark web it's mostly the bad stuff that we that gets uh, reported that you know when you do like it just I just did like a cur- cursory Google search on the term dark web and you know the first ten to fifteen results that I came across were mostly about you know how authorities have taken down these dark web sites and they have busted some some group for some illicit operations they were running. It seems to be like the focus is more on the negative side of it. Is it because the, 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 the implications or the harms caused by the malicious use of the dark web is a lot greater? Yeah, I think you know there's a, a marketing term around dark web, and and I think that marketing term encompasses the uh, malicious and the illegal activity that occurs on on an anonymization network. Um, and so when I think people refer to you know, the quote unquote dark web, I think um, you know they are generally categorizing the malicious activity that occurs that uh, could be used on the the Tor network. Um, when people talk about Tor. Uh, and, and I would like to decouple the two. Uh, I mean, I think the Tor network provides 
uh, a pretty valuable tool for people to anonymously access uh, sites and uh, access resources um, across the globe. And, um, and so uh, from a Tor perspective, you know, I think that's pretty positive. From a dark, dark web perspective, and I think, you know, again, that's a term that uh, encompasses uh, malicious activity. So, so generally, when people talk about the dark web, um, it probably is fair to, to state that there is uh, you know, malicious activity that occurs there. In terms of, um, you know, just because uh, we briefly touched about this, the information that's available on the dark web, uh, you can probably buy like uh, fake IDs, you can probably buy or sell drugs and all of that. Can you expand on that? Like what generally just uh, give us a sense of what are the different types of information that are being exchanged or being sold in various marketplaces on the dark web? Yeah, there are a number of marketplaces that are run by a number of actors out there. And uh, some of them are focused on on hacking and, and uh, electronic crime. You know, some of them are focused on drugs. Um, you know, there, there's really a, there are a number of things that you could really buy and sell there. Um, it yeah, the the, um, the thing to keep in mind is it's um, purely anonymous in terms of how you communicate with other people, and a lot of times um, anonymous uh, digital currencies are used to exchange, um, you know, credits and uh, to exchange uh, currency uh, when you buy and sell goods. Uh, the the challenge and, and probably the more difficult thing for the criminals to do is is actually be able to physically. Um, provide the goods because you do have to use a traditional uh, means of uh, delivering goods to um, to somebody. Now, there's lots of ways to, to get around physical security controls, but um, you know if you think about uh, the dark web and, and how easy it is to um, communicate, um, if you think about digital currencies, how easy it is to um, exchange currency with others, uh, again, the, the real tough part um, is, is actually physically getting the goods uh, from one place to another because um, you know, that, that typically uh, um, would cause um, in, in, in situations where you're you know, buying and selling uh, illegal physical products, um, there's a, a challenge with uh, you know, physically moving that over. Now, when you're just dealing with um, electronic um, you know, goods, um, so if you're selling usernames and you know, usernames and passwords to log into websites, or um, if you're selling credit card numbers or personal information, um, that could be exchanged in a, in a very you know, safe and secure and anonymous way. Um, so it just really depends on how uh, yeah, the complexity depends on what you're trying to transfer between individuals. And uh, if there's a physical component, um, that in, um, increases some of the complexities in, in getting goods to others. So that was Charles Carmichael, a vice president from FireEye, explaining what the dark web is. Now, Saheli, I've never actually been on the dark web, that is, until recently. Uh, you know, I visited a, a London-based cybersecurity company called Digital Shadows. They actually monitor the dark web uh, for bad actors and help law enforcement catch some of the criminals operating there. Very interesting. So I took a trip to their new headquarters in London and sat down with one of the co-founders, James Chappell. Um, I asked him to walk me through the dark web, sit down with me at a computer, uh, and he showed me around. Now, I'm not going to lie, before this, I was slightly nervous, but also nervous, excited to see what's going on. Have a listen in to what happened. Okay, James, so what we've got now is Dream Market, which is a marketplace type of site. Just run us through what's going on here. So uh, this is this is the marketplace itself. So this is this is the sort of online shop, if you will. And you can see there's lots of different categories of, of goods here, from what they're called digital goods through to drugs, drugs paraphernalia, the uh, rather anonymous-looking services and uh, other. If you look at sort of things like uh, digital goods here, you'll start to see um, quite a lot of uh, 
guides, uh, that, that kind of thing. But um, you also see uh, things like there's a, a category here called hacking. And um, these are sort of everything from instructions on websites that are, that are hacked for you, uh, guides to uh, getting into wireless networks, for example. Um, gu guides are quite common because they're sort of easy to sell. Uh, sometimes what you'll find is uh, you'll find sort of means of getting around antivirus. So there's a method here for getting around Norton antivirus that's been offered for sale. Um, there's uh, there's sort of uh, ch checkers as well. So these are often for checking um, whether the malware you've created would be detected by antivirus software, for example. And part of this is this where you find those those exploit kits where you can, you know, essentially have a toolkit to go and do your own hacking. Yes, exactly. So you see quite a lot of what they call remote access toolkits, uh, which are designed to provide you access remotely to someone else's computer. Uh, you find things like uh, malware toolkits, so you can you can build your own malware that's undetectable, uh, or FUD, as they often call it. Uh, you can even find uh, examples of uh, examples of sort of tools that would enable you to um, uh, get in between a user and their banking application, for example. So a couple of the ones I'm seeing right now is one: there's a Facebook account there, how to hack in, um, which is going for 0.0003433 Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, which is not too expensive, I don't think, at the current price. One of the, um, one of the cheaper ones. One of the yes. cheaper ones. So, so that that essentially would be it would be a guide, right, to, to get through Facebook's security. security. Yeah. Wow. And uh, in this case, uh, you you can see it's sort of a I think this is an ebook or a guide that you would download for two dollars and eight cents. There you go. That's and, the price. And and you got uh, you see it says escrow here. So one of the really amazing things that has been set up in these forums is this process of escrow. So you purchase a product, you then get the product delivered to you. The money's not taken until both parties agree that the transaction is completed. And there's the <clears throat> criminal forum sits in between and acts as that third party uh, to verify that transaction. So this is something you wouldn't get on eBay or, or you know another Alibaba or another... Uh, forum site. It's quite innovative and unique to the criminal underworld. And uh, one other interesting aspect of I'm just seeing another product on offer there is the uh, cashing out bank accounts and falls empty it. So is that what it says on the tin? So this is a, another guide, uh, but in this case, uh, where you're conducting credit card fraud, you've got two. Uh, Things to do. One is to uh, obtain the credit card number or fulls, as they as they call it, um, and and turn those into cash um, in virtual currency. And then you've got to get that virtual currency and turn that into real money. Um, so the virtual currency to real money is through a process called muling, and uh, there are whole networks of individuals all over the world who are can withdraw money from cash points. Uh, in order to convert a, a balance in a bank account into cash, which they can then often go on and buy other goods and services to then cycle the money over and over. 
Um, this is this seems to be a guide that's talking to people who are doing credit card fraud and trying to move the money around uh, to protect themselves. And just to give you a sense, that's just over four dollars. So again, it seems pretty cheap for for what you're getting. The, these so most of these what we have on this screen here are, are guides. So they tend to be sort of at the lower end of the cost scale. Um, we might find some remote access toolkits. You never know what you're going to find here. So. Um, sometimes you find remote access toolkits and the like, and that, that's where it starts to get uh, quite interesting. Um, so under software, for example, here, uh, SMS and email bombers, so these are sort of things you get those uh, PPI sort of SMS messages via, you've got um, uh, key generators, so they actually have a monetary value because you're accessing a gaming service here. Uh, you've got uh, administrator tools. So these tend to fetch a little bit more money. So this admin tool is a whole $8, uh, for example. Uh, see if we can find... Ah, oh, there's a... The, the other interesting thing here is you see um, uh, other bits of software that are uh, then also copied and, and resold. So it, it's quite interesting you see... A lot of um, a lot of hacking of the hackers as well, just showing that there's no there is no uh, no place is safe, no one is safe. <laughs> and so 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 software is one big part of it. These hacking toolkits, another, and then of course you've got the the drugs as well, um, ebooks even on there, uh, and digital goods and and the the very uh, mysterious other category as well. So there's a, seems to be just a whole bunch of stuff here yeah. ready for purchase. Yes, it, it, indeed, and uh, including all the choice images that you could uh, <laughs> you could imagine. So, uh, yeah, everything's available. And it could be sort of tools to protect yourself. It could be, uh, it could be tools to conduct a, a fraud. It could be, you know, just a, a quick way of, or it could be advice uh, of, of uh, how to get to, uh, you know, m money really quickly. Well, that sounded exciting. Uh, tell me, tell me, what was the experience like? I mean, you you were there in person, and I'm sure our listeners are also wanting to know more about what you personally felt when you were going through that experience with him. So the first thing that struck me was we sat down, and it took quite a while to actually get access to some of these uh, websites. Um, on the dark web. So you have to go, obviously, as we heard earlier, through some of these other routers, such as the Tor uh, network. And and the problem is, a lot of these websites, so what FireEye does is they, you know, manage to get credentials and create credentials to access many of these marketplaces. But what's interesting is these marketplaces work on a, on a basis of trust. So people are leaving reviews. So I, I saw a few reviews for someone who was rating another drug dealer's products. And that's how it all works. Now, regularly what happens is these websites purge a bunch of users who perhaps haven't been as active online, haven't been buying things, haven't been commenting. And so some of the uh, credentials that Digital Shadows had to log into some of these websites were actually eradicated. And that was quite, I found quite funny because, you know, there's this whole market going on there and a whole community almost built around some of these uh, websites and, and marketplaces that are dealing in uh, illegal things. Um, 
And also, there were some really interesting, different things on there. Like, you could buy access to people's credentials, of course, which is something we'll go and talk about. But you could also buy, you know, access to Facebook accounts, credit card accounts, Netflix accounts, uh, all sorts of interesting things. Now, one big thing was that, that struck me was actually people selling these access to various different accounts. We were looking at how cheap they were, and they were just a few dollars to buy a whole large dump of data. Uh, and I know you've been you've been doing a little bit of work on talking about where some of those cyber attacks we see in the real world, where, where does that data end up going? Um, that's something you explored a, a bit about, right? I did. And a lot of that data that gets stolen, you know, you have all these major hacks that get reported in the media. A large percentage of that data actually ends up in the dark web. And, you know, all of the cybersecurity researchers that I've spoken to say say that, you know, the dark web is full of stolen information that are up for sale and and they can cost anywhere from a dollar to maybe thousands of dollars. Uh, things like credit card information, passports, fake college diplomas. And one area that I wanted to point out, and this is becoming increasingly popular, are medical records. Now, medical records are pretty much like hot commodities in the dark web. And you might wonder, you know, what can I possibly do with someone else's medical records? Well, for starters, you can get their complete identity because think about it. Medical records will, of course, contain the person's medical information, but at the same time, it contains things like their full name, their date of birth, their national ID numbers. I mean, what more do you need to assume someone else's identity apart from those numbers? So I asked Charles from FireEye that, exactly what kind of data are hackers looking for? And here's what he had to say. Yeah, there's definitely, definitely different values for different data types. And, um, and so, yeah, there's uh, you know, obviously a different cost associated with that. You know, in the United States, uh, most people by this point in time have already lost their social security number, or at least most adults. And, um, and, and the problem in the U.S. is it's not easy uh, to get a, a new social security number. In fact, most people don't ever end up getting a new social security number. Um, it's uh, you know typically known that when you die, that's when you end up losing your social security number and it ends up being reused. I think to that point uh, that you were just saying, I just read a, a study this morning uh, that was actually talking about how, uh, you know, it was a breakdown from Experian, the consumer credit research company, saying that how in the U.S. is like a social security numbers go for as low as a dollar versus, you know, diplomas that can fetch like a hundred dollars a piece just to, just to sort of, you know, get that. So, so I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think any type of data that you could steal that would enable you to impersonate somebody else and, um, for example, maybe get credit extended to somebody, um, that, that data is always in high demand. So think about, um, um, you know, uh, national identity numbers. Um, think about um, tax numbers. Uh, so it's so anything that allows you to extend credit. Um, so, you know, uh, if, if I had enough personal information to be able to you know, get a mortgage or to get a credit card um, sent to, um, uh, you know, to send to me as a, as a criminal, then I would, uh, I'd certainly be interested in that type of data. So we, we do see um, you know, it's national identity numbers, text um, um, records um, being um, targeted by attackers uh, across the globe. Now, Arjun, you know, it might seem like as long as someone is anonymous on the dark web, they can get away with just about anything. But that's not true. 
because law enforcement authorities are also very active on the dark web and mostly to try and catch these criminals at work. Now, sometimes, you know, a simple tip might lead to the takedown of, you know, these big established marketplaces on the dark web and that used to previously thrive on anonymity. Last year, law enforcement authorities from the US and Europe got together to shut down two major dark web marketplaces called Alphabay and Hansa. Think of these marketplaces like eBay or Amazon, but on the dark web. And they were selling a host of illegal items like drugs, stolen data, and many other things. Now, in the case of Hansa, according to the Dutch police, they said they worked with authorities in Germany, Lithuania, the United States, as well as Europol to take down the operation. Now, two of the administrators of Hansa Market were actually arrested in Germany, the, according to the Dutch police. And they also said that they discovered the underground marketplace was being hosted on service in Lithuania. So this, this actually brings back to the point you said, Arjun, about you know, how the dark web is truly an international phenomenon. Yeah, no, I think it brings up the, the question of how to catch these criminals in the dark web. And, you know, when you saw some of those takedowns of the sites, you realized the amount of people and law enforcement involved from the US to Europe, but also some of these researchers, the likes of Digital Shadows, do this kind of work as well. Um, so I asked James when I was sitting down with him actually how they do their work and what's needed and done in order to catch criminals on the dark web. So law enforcement is working very hard all the time to catch criminals of all varieties. Um, I think where we've seen a lot of effort exerted by people like the National Crime Agency in the UK and the FBI is where uh, they take down some of the infrastructure that criminals use. So late last year we saw the takedown of Hansa, uh, which is one of the large marketplaces. It was very interesting to see the effect this had so uh, initially, uh, we thought that lots of websites would come back online, uh, just replacing Hansa as soon as it was taken down. And actually, what we've witnessed is a move off of things like Tor, although you know, there's still sites there, uh, onto more of the message-based services and uh, using more things like robots and, and these channels to talk about criminality. So it actually changed the behaviour of the criminals, which was a really interesting thing to witness. Uh, is that making it harder or easier for law enforcement, pushing them into other channels, or is that actually making it a challenge knowing where they're going to and trying to crack those new channels as well? I, I think this is a constantly evolving space. Criminals are very innovative and will continue to be innovative. Um, so it's, it's always been changing to some degree. I think the takedown take of the Hansa uh, marketplace was a bit of a turning point and it did force people away from services like Tor onto other, other types of services, which include things like Telegram, but, but there's a bunch of other services there like Discord and, and the like too. So. So that was James Chappell there, one of the co-founders of Digital Shadows, talking a little bit about how it works with law enforcement to catch some of these criminals on the dark web. Very interesting, but I must say, Saheli, after my experience on the dark web, my first experience on the dark web, I'm not sure I'm going to be going back anytime soon. There's not really much on it for me, you know? What about you? Oh, absolutely not. You know, in the past few months that I've been researching on the dark web, you know, because I keep hearing people talk about it and there's a lot of, you know, information out there 
most of them pretty scary, pretty nefarious, but there are also good parts of the dark web, as you previously alluded to in this episode. But you know, you know what? At this point, I'm just happy to let the professionals do their job on the dark web. I have absolutely no interest. But what I want to ask our listeners is, have you been on the dark web? What was the experience like? Tell us. We want to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at SahiliRC. And I'm on Twitter at Arjun Karpal. That's it for another episode of Beyond the Valley. There's plenty more episodes online from Bitcoin to data and Facebook. Have a listen. Let us know what you think. And we'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.